What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Meme Goofing with Bailey. This week, I'm joined by Mike Golick Jr., where we attempt to diagnose the overwhelming horniness levels on the internet, is the bachelor sports, the importance of memes in sports, and so much more. Let's do this thing. All right, so to get started, basically, first of all, so this is partially like a mental health podcast. So like, how you doing? Like in quarantine, how's everything going with you? How, how you feeling? Uh, I've been pretty good for the most part. Like I, I, I saw someone tweet this the other day and I thought it was pretty like emblematic of the whole situation. The quarantine so far has been like usually like three or four good days in a row. And then you have that one bad day where everything kind of dips and it's either like, you know, rainy and crappy outside or you don't get to exercise or like something in the schedule that we've all kind of built up for me goes wrong. And Uh that day I'm like, oh, I'm thinking a little bit too much about everything that's going on right now all at once. And so on those days, it kind of sucks. And like, I just, you know, kind of usually take some time to like sit and just breathe through it and, you know, reach out to somebody if I need to, or just kind of be alone with my thoughts. So more, more, more often than not, I'd say there have been a lot more good days than bad. So I've been pretty fortunate. That's all more good days than bad is what I've been striving for for quite some time now. So I feel like I'm on the same page. I will, uh, (laughs) I'll take it. So in what way is like your life changed the most? Uh, I'd say my life has changed the most, probably like my travel habits. Like I'd say Mm -hmm. most of my life for the last couple of years has been defined by being pretty undefined. Like I usually get on a plane every weekend and I'm either going somewhere for work or to see various members of my family or, you know, my friends who are scattered across the country and who have a lot of young kids right now. So I like to mm-hmm. you know, go around when I got the chance and be involved in their life. And so it didn't start getting weird for me until I would hit the weekends. And all of a sudden I wasn't getting on a plane to go somewhere Thursday or Friday. And I had yeah. all of this time and all these days where I wasn't working to fill. And that was where the, the challenge kind of started. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think the travel, so many people got so dependent on travel and were just so used to not being staying put in one place. I think that's the issue a lot of people are running into with like, they were so used to that to kind of breaking up the monotony of just like their everyday life and then not having that anymore. It's just very strange. I didn't do much traveling for work. I was, I mean, for me personally, like I was commuting over four hours every single day to Connecticut because I was commuting from Brooklyn to Stanford. So I was getting on the train and I had to take the L to Union Square, transfer to take that uh, the four or five to Grand Central, hop on a train to Stanford, and then the shuttle from the Stanford train station to my office. So for me, I'm sa- like I saved four hundred bucks on a train ticket and four plus hours a day. So like I have, at- and now that I don't have a job either, like I have no idea what to do with my time because I at least Man. have my day job. But and like even that was so much easier. But yeah, it's it's been it's been nuts. Um, so you're like a former player, obviously yourself, an athlete, an elite, would you consider an elite athlete, right? Uh, I was like, I think like the bar, like right below elite, like I was good enough to play, you know, high level college football and all that stuff. Not Uh quite good enough to like, you know, break into the NFL in the ways that Mm -hmm. I wanted to, but, uh, that was, that was close tangent enough. Yeah. So these guys that are now, I'll take that. Nothing wrong with that. As a guy who didn't play varsity sport, nothing wrong with that. Uh, um, (laughs) So what percentage would you be giving yourself and like how difficult and how not jealous of you are, are you of these guys who are trying and need to stay in professional shape right now during quarantine? Not jealous at all. Like the, I think for the rest of us, right? Like to stay in enough shape to like 
go around and not feel like, like can we cuss on this podcast? I don't know. Oh yeah, we can. Yeah. yeah. I like to not feel like shit when you're going around every day. Like the level yeah. of, you know, working out I have to do with that is already like enough to like be uncomfortable in those spots. But I just remember, like, I always said, like, I use my golf game as the example. Like I don't yeah. put enough time into my golf game to expect to be good at it because mm -hmm. I remember what it's like to put enough time into something to just try and be above average at it like I was as a football player. And part of yeah. that time is the amount of time, energy, and effort you expend into your body because that's not just the exercise portion, but it's the diligence on diet and nutrition. It's, you know, making sure you're timing up sleep and rest in the, in the way and all these things that is so much energy expended towards that that yep. right now, like as we're all dealing with like a little extra stress in general, like for some yeah. people, it is financial and work-related. For other people, it's just sort of that general wear of, all right, I'm a little worried about my family that's not in my immediate vicinity. I'm a little worried about the general state of the world and our well-being. Like, that wears on you in ways that, like, don't manifest themselves until they do. And yeah. so I feel like with that, trying to expend all that energy, being a professional athlete or trying to be one, it, it's got to be exhausting right now. That and I think two things too. Like one, they're used to having some trainers around. I think a lot of guys too, and someone to really help push them and guide them through workouts. And it's tough to put yourself through workouts. I know as someone who doesn't. And also just on top of that, like you, like you said, just trying to have to stay in shape when there's not an immediate goal or something coming up right immediately is difficult. I mean, it's easy to get in shape when summer is coming around. Now we don't even have summer. So with a season not even knowing when it's going to come, I imagine that motivation is hard. I had forgotten just how important that is because you're so right. Like having a concrete goal in all of that. I, I, a while back, I, I did a, uh, I climbed a, I climbed a mountain with uh, Chris Long's charity. And like mm -hmm. that for me, it was at the end of February. And so it was kind of like, you know, planning up towards and around the Super Bowl. I had yeah. this very like concrete physical goal. And so you're right. Like it made all of the discipline beforehand feel really necessary and like yep. kept me honest with all that. I don't know how you're right. That's, that's a really difficult part to try and wield. Yeah. I can't even imagine, especially diet and everything. I have absolutely no idea how anyone's doing that. So to transition a little bit more out of the glad we're not completely suffering mental health wise and we're doing our right segment into the more social media type stuff. So you're obviously a big Twitter guy. When exactly did you realize that like Twitter was going to be like a place that you just really existed, you know? Yeah. You know what? It's funny. Cause I resisted at the beginning. Like my friends okay. forcibly made my Twitter for me when we were in college, it was like 2011. So I think we were juniors in college at that point. And my friends literally took my phone and they were like, we're all on this. You're getting on this. And that was at the beginning when it was like a chat room with your friends. But, um, uh -huh. As far as when I really like thought it was probably so my last two years at Notre Dame, we started doing something called Trick Shot Monday. It was basically like beer pong trip shots that we would film in our locker room. It was in between one of our meetings on Monday at the start of the week, dinner and the next set of meetings. And we just did it to kill time. But we started to film it and we started to put it up on YouTube. And then we started to push it out on Twitter. And before we know it, it got a lot of like traction socially uh -huh. from people that consume Notre Dame football, which is a lot of really like crazy ravenous fans online. And so once we started to see the reaction from that, we were like, oh, okay, like maybe this is a place where, especially as someone I knew then, I wanted to get into sports media. I was doing stuff as sort of like a behind the scenes look at Notre Dame football then anyway yeah. with Brandon Newman, my, a friend of mine who I mentioned to you before. Mm -hmm. And so I think all of those things together, I was just like, all right, this could be a really good tool 
to try and start to break into an industry that before, like, there were very clear ways. You went up through local, you started as a board op, like you had to go through all these traditional paths that kind of no longer existed then. That's funny that you say that because I skipped all of the traditional paths. I mean, I was helping to run a New York Knicks blog, the Knicks wall, while teaching English in upstate New York. And that somehow manifested into Sports Illustrated, which turned the XFL, which turned into nothing, but hopefully it turns into something good soon. So you started talking about this a little bit, but like how much do you think, because I hate this term and I always talk about I hate this term, but it's really the only proper term, like personal brand. How much do you think your Twitter presence has kind of helped your personal brand and helped you get out there and connect with people on an individual level? Yeah, no, I'm with you. That, that term is kind of like also the other word in my life that disgusts me is like when people call the people that work on air in sports, the talent, like oh, that, oh, I, yes. I, I, I despise that term at its core, but yeah. as far as like the, as far as the, the brand thing, I, I think social is good like that because so many people like we all, we all recognize that social media is just like very filtered and like yes. whittled down version of what you want people to see. I kind of go the other way. We're like, so many people, especially athletes, usually it's like, oh, here's this workout stuff that I'm doing all the time. And here's all this stuff very focused toward my task. It's like, no, like I want to come on here and kind of do the bullshit with everybody else. Like, yes. let's live tweet shows like The Bachelor. Let's talk about whatever like dumb meme is going on around now. Like, let's participate in a way that's maybe even more honest than what we get to do. Like, you know, because I do a four hour radio show every day, but we are a sports show first and foremost. And so yep. We, you know, it's not like a stick to sports thing as much as it is, you know, we like to talk about sports because that's what people come there for. When I'm off the clock and on social media, I get to do the other stuff. And so maybe it shows a part of that that shows up on air a little bit. But now all of a sudden, if you want pictures of my, you know, if you're used to seeing pictures of my pugs here or me talking yeah. about The Bachelor or Bachelorette here or talk about Dragon Ball Z and other anime shows, like there's a very clear place where I can go and other people are willing to engage on that, too. Absolutely. So, you know, I think we use, I think we use Twitter very, very similarly. And I think that's probably why we've gotten to know each other through Twitter. Um, for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, like me and Mike exclusively know each other through Twitter and social media channels. So this chemistry that you're having, that we're having with each other here on this podcast, like totally through Twitter. So a non-serious question, how do you feel about the general like horniness level on Twitter right now? And why are people so horny online? And is it okay to be this horny online? Um, you know what? I think right now, like, so like the NFL has like a minimum in the drug testing policy for what you can test, what, you know, triggers a positive test. Right. Yeah. And recently the NFL in the latest round of the CBA lowered the level of what'll test positive. So essentially it upped the amount of weed you can smoke before you hit a positive yes. test. I feel like we're kind of doing that right now with the general horniness on Twitter <laughs> where everyone understands especially the people that are quarantined alone is like all right like our, our usual outlets for going out and just you know exploring that part of our lives is mm -hmm. not there right now and so everyone's a little bit pent up and so as long as it like we all know there's certain lines still but in oh, general yeah. are you throwing likes and more flirtatious posts out there more often than you would absolutely have i myself been a victim of liking some of those in a way that's probably populated certain people's timelines Absolutely. So I feel like we've upped a little bit in the horniness testing policy of general Twitter, because as everyone said over and over, we live in very uncertain times. Absolutely. I think we may have just gotten at least the subhead title for this episode as well out of that. There's going to be about a dozen <laughs> phrases there to choose from. Upping the general horniness <laughs> level, though, is pretty good. I'm not sure we're going to be able to top that. So 
kind of now to kind of serious things back up a little bit. How, and you might not be able to answer this, and if you can't, totally, we'll just, like, cut this out. But, like, how filtered, like, do you feel a requirement, or is there a requirement to you, be, like, to being a certain level of filtered due to just, like, the fact that you are a very forward-facing person for a large brand? Uh, I don't think there's any pressure. I think, for me, it's different just because that was always sort of built in. Like, my dad was mm -hmm. part of Mike and Mike in the morning for 20 years, and that was all when I was growing up. So, like, when I was in high school and I started – you know, A, getting recruited and realized the things you were going to do were all going to be scrutinized. Yeah. I'd also had that realization that, all right, anything you do is something that people are going to notice because my dad's got a very big platform because people know who we are because it was always a very open family show. And so I was cognizant of it because of that. Like I'm the oldest of three siblings. So I was always cognizant of like the stuff my siblings were going to see me do. So I think I've always like, you know, maybe filtered it, but just like, I'm very conscious about what goes out there at times because I understand and have always understood like for better or for worse, when you're given the ability to reach a lot of people, there are also drawbacks that come with that. And like, you know, part of that is we all got bosses. Like if we're in, you know, for, you know, we're, when we're in fortunate spots like that, you, you've got someone looking over your shoulder at times or you've got people that understand, you know, I don't just get to represent myself at times. And so yes. I got to think about all the other people that I'm representing who, work real hard and bust their ass to make sure that I don't go over and, you know, pop off at the mouth on Twitter and ruin things exactly. for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned like your sibling dynamic and family dynamic there too, because I think the reason that, cause people always ask me like, Oh, how many, like when you started working in social, cause I, I think I got a Twitter when I was in like ninth grade. So like I, me in ninth grade, I, I, I don't want anything I ever said in ninth grade or any sort of semblance of just like the general child I was then to exist, but it does exist. But I think, what helped me out was my parents are very active on social media and my mom had a Twitter account right as soon as I did. So like, I knew I wasn't going to really be cussing on there. I knew I wasn't really going to be going over the top and stuff. Like I'm definitely more over the top now in a professional setting because I'm older and I can make like horny jokes and stuff like that online than I ever was when I was younger, which I think just without realizing how much it helped me, helped me so much. Dude, I, I, what you just hit on there is something, and I forget who I heard say this. I used to attribute it to Bamani Jones, but I have learned since. I don't think he said this, but there are two different types of Twitter. There is everyone on Twitter and everyone on Twitter whose mom is also on Twitter. Yes. And the people like <laughs> my mom, I'm the same way. My mom is super active on social media. Once your mom logs online, the way you operate fundamentally changes. Yeah, my mom's my mom's routine is like she wakes up, she makes herself a tea in the morning, and she goes and scrolls my entire Twitter timeline. And just <laughs> knowing that. Just like, which is like adorable at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thankful for that. I'm glad oh, yeah. she invests in what I'm interested in, even though Twitter is not just generally the best indicator of like how I'm doing at any given time. But I just knowing that she does that, the amount of times that I just send something to drafts and I'm like, you know, we can let that one hang out. Like, is it worth it? Is it worth a text from my mom being like, hey, is everything okay? Probably not. Because I get those. Oh, and also she's well involved. I mean, as you know, and this will transition to something else we were talking about. Like I was running the Levitar Twitter account last weekend. And she was very active in the mention. She joined Mina Kimes and her roasting of me. And she jumped in there with the looks like game. And she was very active. So that has become very interesting too, because like my mom and dad now have followers where people can go and follow them and know that they're going to embarrass me at any point they can. So they've, they're, they're, they're clout chasing a bit on occasion, but I respect it because that's all I've ever done myself. No, hey, listen, you, it is amazing. You and I are leading very similar lives as far yes. as having that delicate balance of like what you just said, is it worth the follow-up text that I'm going to get about this tweet? 
and yes. then sending a lot of them to draft because of that. Wow, that hit home. Yeah, I know. I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm not alone in that because, and I, I, I actually like. I have to reach out to my mom at some point, and be like, "Hey, like this probably is not the best crowd to get involved with. You might want to separate yourself from this one because I think they see." I was recording a podcast uh, earlier with a couple of guys who had me on. They were interested in chatting about the internet. And they said, like, the internet could be such a good place or it could be such a bad place. So there's certain channels that I think my mom sees the internet in a much better light than what you and I have probably been exposed to. So I'm trying to shelter her and keep her in that little sect of, of kind people, too. Um, so we talked about, like, the Levitard show. And I, I ran that Twitter account last weekend. Shout out Mike Ruiz. Did me a huge favor. Got me a couple thousand followers by hooking me up there. You're part of like the larger kind of Levitard cinematic universe. You're very involved with them on Twitter and back and forth and stuff. What's up with those guys, man? Those fans, those people, they, they, those fans, those fans are unlike anything else. They are, they are the most unique fan base at ESPN. And I think it's because like they're, they're, that show is so online. And for as much as it's like a brick and mortar radio show, their podcast audience is massive. Like people consume them in such a different way. And it's such a full ensemble cast that, and, and they've always done a good job, whether it's like Mike and the rest of the guys in the shipping container or the other people they bring in around it, like, you know, Mina Hassan, Dominique Foxworth, Mina, that whole crew, like mm -hmm. they bring everyone in and they kind of indoctrinate everyone into that group in a way where it just grows. And it's, I mean, it's kind of like the cool kids table at lunch, right? Like you see everyone yeah. sitting over there and they always look like they're having a good time. And so you want to be involved. Like they, they, live by the central tenant I think that like all of us who are putting out content in whatever form kind of live by which is if you're having a good time nine out of ten times people listening or people that want to listen are going to be having a good time too or going to want to be there like that that should always be in my mind like the baseline like are we having a good time doing this and if not then why are we doing it because no one else is going to have fun if we're not so they they kind of do that as I think as well or better than anyone in our network. And so it has created such a weird place where like the user input, like between the looks like game and all the polls, yeah. like it, it's all so interactive. It really is like a big messy, like middle school cafeteria. And I don't, that's why it was so funny for me. Cause he's like, yeah, he's like, you'll be fine. He's like, and Mike literally texted me. He was like, like Mike was texting me. He's like, I was like, all right, so like general stuff, what do you do, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, just do whatever you want. I'm like, I feel like that's not going to go over great based on everything that I've interpreted from this audience. I'm like, but let's do it. But honestly, like I haven't, they, they, were, they were messing with me a lot, which was fun, but it was fun. It's fun to be messed with. It was a nice distraction. But in terms of like a welcoming group of individuals, they were quite welcoming. And like a lot of them have stuck around and continue following me and are retweeting the podcast and like continuing to be kind. And it's just, it's, I love to see kind of like the different audience, this, audiences that kind of naturally grow and just seeing theirs up close and personal was just was fascinating to me. You're right. It, it is. It's one that like at first and everyone kind of goes through this, like there are very few people that come into the Levitard universe and like the fan base and are accepted right away. Like it's mm -hmm. very much like you got to have like familiarity breeds comfort. Yeah, but like what once you do and you've seen that, like the support is ungodly, especially online. Like they tend to rally around all these causes. They're a very mobile fan base, and it's always cool to watch because it ends up doing a lot of good. Like Dan and Stu tend to always like, yeah. you know, and, and Mike and the rest of those guys tend to really point things in the right direction. Absolutely. So to move a little bit more into like the meme space, you know, meme goofing with Bailey's in the title. That's a, I was so upset. I finally, for the first time yesterday, searched on Twitter and searched meme goofing, and I was like the third person to tweet it. 
and I thought I was like the first person. I didn't know it was a term that had been around, and I'm devastated. Oh. I, might be re- I know. I might be reaching out to those people to have them delete their tweets and maybe deleting this part of the podcast because I thought it was a term. It, I think I'm living it more than anyone else is, but I did think I invented it, and I was crestfallen to find out that I didn't. But how important, because you're like, you you get Twitter, you get the internet, but like you also get memes. You very much understand like the meme space. And I don't think that's like particularly true of like a lot of people who are in as awesome and high positions, you know, with like your great role at your radio show you have. So how important are memes to sports? Uh, I think memes have become like, I, I don't want to say vital because obviously like we understand like the online version of sports is just one small part of it, but it's become like one of my favorite parts of the communal watching experience. Like everything that we had to do in like bars or at parties together, we get to do online now, which is yeah. especially relevant to this current situation. But a big yeah. part of that is like the inside jokes we all get. And it's like on a Sunday, as soon as you see an image, like I started thinking in tweets a long time ago, like 140 character clips, we yeah. now all sit around and whether we're watching like the red zone channel or any sort of game, as soon as you see something goofy on the screen, I just go to Twitter and wait to see the first person that screen grabbed it. So all the rest of us can run with a meme. So yeah. I think it's good though. Like NBA, NBA's Twitter was so far ahead on that as far as like, making it a very online memeable space but the nfl and its fans i think and especially like the very online ones a lot of whom we know like some of our mutual friends through si and through you know Uh sb nation and all these places like football and college football in the nfl have become so online so it's like it is like the fun way that we all get to exist together no matter what the fandom is or what way you came to football or sports in general i think that's 100 percent true you talk about what's really interesting and really the only measurable metric I've ever had to care about in my job in sports media is like the social media side. So I think the XFL was an interesting, XFL, rest in peace, was a good example of we had, yeah, uh, thrown it up. We had the chance to honestly establish a voice and do so much stuff that if the main and at, if at NFL on Twitter went and did like a deep cut Reddit type meme that I was throwing out on consistent basis, people would have, they would have gotten Steve Buscemi, how do you do fellow kids? They would have gotten delete this. They would have got this. Who are you? But I think I was in such a privileged position, maybe privilege isn't the right word, but like a lucky position where we were able to craft that. And people got to know, like we got so many comments on Instagram saying, this is my favorite meme account. And like, did my boss's boss love to see that? No, like he didn't love to like see that our main account was established with that. But I think what some of them missed out on and like conversations I'd love to have with them in the future now that's not contingent on like my job and stuff anymore is I think there's an entire audience out there that will care about your brand and your league and everything without ever watching a second of it on TV or ever caring because they just like the memes on Twitter. They like the memes on Instagram and they're just fine existing in kind of this general social space. And it's interesting because like we were able to do that, but, and the NBA, like you said, was definitely uh on front on that and the nba was so good on vine and everything that they were definitely ahead of the curve on everything but it'll be interesting to see if leagues now in this time as we're seeing more time with no sports like they have to find different things to do so i'm interested to see like if the meme space is such a funny term but like if they're going to lean further into that like deep meme space because there's a huge part of the internet that that's all they consume well and, and i always think too like this is the thing we struggle with again is like someone who's on like a a normal like like air quotes normal like the tradition like i always say like brick and mortar radio show like is Mm -hmm. is our lifeblood on that 
but how do you use these different arms to potentially bring people that back there or to just like you said, like get them interacting with your universe in whatever form is most palatable to them. And I, I'm interested in your take on this because the one thing that you see and I feel like for you guys, like the main account for the XFL was this great, like awesome meme hub. And then you certainly had great content come from the teams, but in general, they're skewed a little bit more promotional. It's skewed a little bit more yeah. around some of the traditional things you'd see versus like the NBA, whose main account is like that. But then you'll get people operating the team accounts that can kind of operate individually. They'll do more things where they'll like clown other teams' accounts with memes yeah. or, or put together some of the things that kind of a, akin to what you guys did. Like, do you think you can, ex like, do you need both maybe in your, like to exist in your universe? Do you need some parts of both for it to balance enough to like to all work. I think to please the people who are still in charge. Yes, you definitely do. And I don't think there's anything wrong there. I mean, I think one thing that we did, and I agree, like our main account was this meme hub and what we did and what we tried to do is we had really talented individual social media editors at each team. And in the same way that I was blessed with being able to, I think a thunder outside in the same way that I was blessed to be able to, kind of build this account to be what it was, each team was able to do the same. And I think they crafted their audience based on that. So something would have been like the Seattle Dragons account was much more photography forward. So if they did a much more, but also really active on TikTok. And then like the DC Defenders was much more of that typical kind of clowning. The kid Ryan Distier who worked there, he was at the NBA before. He worked for both the Wizards and the Sixers. So I think that showed through. Like, and I mean, working for the Wizards and the Sixers during the dark ages, I would not wish that upon anyone. So he was so used to being self-deprecating. So when the defenders started losing, he's like, guys, I'm good. I'm ready. Like, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to rock this. Because he was so used to working for losing teams. But I do think it's interesting. I think there's, I think there's a space that both can coexist. I think building up your audience and just being straightforward. I think we were transparent. I think the amount that I owned content and I'd be in the mentions and be like, I made this, this was me. And lending an individual voice to a league account, I think, I think there's something there. And I don't know if it will work for everyone, but I think people will always connect way more with individuals than they will with brands. And I think by allowing our brand account to function kind of like an individual, be like, hey, this is me, I'm doing this stuff, really helps people kind of not be as, one, honestly, not be as mean and like not be maybe less hesitant to click that mean reply gif or that mean that they've been waiting and also like build up the support level that like they wanted to see me succeed by the end and they're like tagging me and being like bailey this is great and the social the kind of space that the xfl social media created was unlike anything i think that'll ever be replicated everyone just said nice stuff all the time it made no sense well but i i think like you said though like in addition to like you said you got the chance to create a voice but like it was authentic like it was yeah. you going in there and doing the things that like you were naturally interested in and you did them in a like highly skilled way. Like lest we not forget like the, when I remember being blown away by just the sheer quality of something like the graphics surrounding the beer snake. Like when you guys created yeah. that graph, when you created that graphic and it had the breakdown of length and how many cups and all these different things, I'm like, that's a very funny concept that they executed really well. So it's uh -huh. like doing the things that come natural to you at a high level, but you're right, there's like an authenticity to it. Like I, I think that's maybe the biggest thing in like the voices. People now, especially online, are very like in tune with bullshit. So if they smell yeah, they it, know that's right away. the roasting starts, yeah. I think you know, right, and I think that's the thing too. Like I, I say this all the time and like I get up on my soapbox, but like I really think the internet's a language and I think there's people who are fluent in it. And I think there's people who are trying to learn it, but like, you know, you could become very fluent in language. And if you go to where that language is primarily spoken, they're always going to be able to tell that you aren't from there. 
And I think that kind of exists on the internet somehow. Some people just get it and some people just don't. And I think you could still operate in the space and understand if you're not someone who inherently gets it. But I think there's enough people out there that can just spot that lack of genuineness right away. And they're just, they're going to rail you for it and you're going to get torn apart for it. And I think a lot of brands get it unjustly as well. A lot of brands do some really good work and it's become the thing like Bleacher Report, like they do awesome work. And they, if you search their mentions, every time they tweet anything, they're going to have dozens of jokes and memes. And because it's also an easy clout chase for people. Like I can get 50 likes. I'm throwing like a, he misses again meme at someone. And I, I get that, but I do think it's hard to build a genuine voice. And I think once you do that, there's not many brands that have been able to. And I honestly think that's why things went so well for us is because people knew we weren't forcing it. And even when I missed quote unquote, and it wasn't great, people were like, Oh, well, like it's still on, like, is it great? No, but it was still on brand. And I think being on brand is all you could try to be. That's the one thing. And I always give this going back to, to what we touched on with the Levitard guys. And, and I know Dan a little bit, but I've worked with Stu Gotts a lot. And uh-huh the one thing that those guys always build into the model is error. It's supposed to be sort of like the behind the scenes, like raw or look. So like you said, even when things go wrong, they go right because you don't sit there and try and like cover it up or smooth out the edge. You point it out and you laugh with everybody else. Like it's that thing. Like you you do something like, yeah, I I forget the specific tweet, but I did something and people are like, what is this? What is this? And I replied like, my bad guys gave it a shot. And like, they just, even that, like the self-acknowledgement, and that's something like that's interesting. And I've had a few people ask me uh, this about the XFL because it did seem so loose. And we really were quite buttoned up and tight there. I just, I chipped and chipped and chipped away. And I, I got to do a lot of stuff and got to the point where there was no oversight and I was able to tweet whatever I wanted. And that was great. But it took a long time of proven results of, look, are people like this to get there? Like, it's not like I showed up the first day and they said, oh, start tweeting like deep Reddit like conspiracy theory-esque memes. Like that isn't what they were. But I think I think other leagues really should take notice because I think just being transparent and being open and honest is something that's what the XFL proud, like kind of prided itself on as a whole. And I think people like transparency. They like it more when you miss. They like it even when you hit. And I just think that's an area that a lot of people are afraid to be in because it's a lot scarier when you're owning it. It's a lot scarier to for like for me if I missed quote unquote on Twitter for people to know that it was me doing that and not being able to hide behind it. And I think that's a conversation that people kind of have to have with themselves too. I I think that's, that's probably something that like, I hope people take away is like you had to like work your way to that because like my, so my sister used to work in the social media department for the Chicago bears for a little bit. Okay. And, and like just in general, like worked around the league, like intern with the league office, but like seeing the process that they had to go through from like, inception to when something got tweeted out or put on Instagram like there is a lot of oversight that goes into that and like I I wonder aloud and I think certainly you're you're a person that would kind of be able to get a sense for it of like as leagues look and maybe see and maybe get smarter about this is there a way to kind of transition to that in a way that doesn't seem completely inauthentic when you try and do that 180 from all right you know we are the traditional NFL's account and these things go out to trying to be something that's a little bit more relaxed if that's even possible at this point because that voice is so you know established as this is the thing people usually come I mean in general people love shitting on the NFL like it's a it's oh yeah well it's an easy easy thing to do yeah like it's it's an honor tradition it's an easy thing to do um and I think that's interesting too because I got the privilege I only had like 1900 which is a decent amount but 1900 Twitter followers when I took that job and 
they really took like uh, Yahoo Sports, for example, brought in Lejethro Jenkins, who's a great follow on Twitter, and he's all like been involved in Twitter a long time. And they said, be our, be the voice of our brand, and like own it, and that he has. But they're also then able to point at that and be like, he did this if it's something that the fans and and like he's able to own that. And he had a big enough following, but that's a scary thing. And I don't know, like I know I'm good at my job, but like I don't think there are a lot of people out there, honestly, who are ready to take the feedback and like the 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 backlash you get and the dms that you get and the anger that you get from people when you do and having to because you also then take on the responsibility of a whole bunch of stuff you don't have your hands in like a video goes out that or an interview that they think is critical of someone and people are angry at you when in reality you only saw it for five seconds before tweeting it out so i think it takes someone with thick skin and it takes someone who is really you have to be so confident in your abilities because like i remember i'll always remember my first day at sports illustrated my first like professional tweeting job he was like, all right, yeah, just like write a tease, write a caption for Facebook for the story. I sat there for like a half hour, panicked. And then you get to realize that you're, as long as you're not inherently awful, like, and say something terrible or that gets grossly misconstrued, you're going to be fine. And you realize that you just have to build confidence because if you don't have confidence, then you're not going to have anything and you're just never going to create good content. It really all does come back to your brand and your boss having confidence in you. And that's the conversation I had with my boss before week one was, hey, man, I can't be running tweets by people. Like, I, like when something happens in this game, I need to just be able to fire away or we're not going to be a good account to follow. And luckily I got that permission and it worked out really well. And it got me some nice clips and made me some friends. So that's good. Um, but yeah, so to transition into a true passion of yours, something I know is very important to you, is the bachelor sports and the bachelorette, is that sports? Uh, yes. And I defer to, uh, I believe one of our mutual friends, or at least someone we know in Charlotte Wilder, yes. who, uh, now is, at, uh, working at, uh, doing great stuff with Fox and doing a lot of great yeah. digital content for them. The bachelor and bachelorette universe is definitively sports. Like people always get it misconstrued. Like I think Jerry Maguire showed sports for what it is. Like it mm -hmm. is a soap opera and a rom-com that is just masquerading as a lot of these, like, very like macho events that go on sports yeah. are an absolute drama and so we just kind of remove with some exceptions like they have the episodes where they do the sports dates but no yeah. it is definitely sports it is a competition and these people are there to freaking win yeah so how much feedback is like i have a i have a trend of myself on twitter where i build up a nice following like you know a handful sometimes dozens sometimes a couple hundred followers a week and then almost all of them unfollow me on Monday when I start tweeting about The Bachelor. Like, all, like it, without fail, like I just watch. Doof, doof, and it's nicer now that I'm in like the K range that you don't see every single follower drop at least. But, you know, I see the, yep. the 0.5 go to a 0.4, to a 0.3. And then I saw like how much still, even though you've been live tweeting The Bachelor and been leaning into this whole universe, do you still get people complaining all the time when you tweet about it? No, I've whittled this down. And oh, next you whittled to it down? It. Oh, I can't it wait is, to be there. It is, it is by far the minority, but it is like, it is weird. It's like when you watch like, you know, you're like transferring liquid out of something and you watch it do like that. Because when I first started, it was nine out of 10 of those were, you know, the, you know, dog avatars, turn in your man card and why do you watch this trash <laughs> and all of that same old stuff. And you just tweet through it because it's like you said, it, it's the confidence of, I like this. I don't, I used to literally tweet out once the, like the season would start. I go, hey, if you need to mute me or the words, I'm giving you all the warning. Monday nights, I'm going to be doing this. Like, I got into all of it. Like, I used to watch with an ex-girlfriend of mine. And mm -hmm. it was just like, it was one of those things she was into. I was trying to get closer to her. So I was like, all right, I'll watch this thing. And then we went on and, like, it broke up. And it wasn't a bad thing. But it was one of those things where I still found myself going back on Monday nights because 
there is a lot of sports Twitter that crosses over into Bachelor and Bachelorette Twitter. And it like really we is. talked about with football, like I like that communal experience. And so I was straight up with people. I was like, I'm going to be doing this. I don't really give a shit if you like it or not. I'm going to keep doing it. And slowly it went from people tweeting me all of that dumb stuff to if I missed a Monday night because I was on the road or something, people tweeting me like where I was, like the nicest, coolest thing someone ever tweeted me about that. And this is when I knew like it had been worth like persevering and kind of like persevering like I went uh -huh. through something freaking hard. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 it just, been, been, just ch chugging through the adversity of being a live battler tweeter. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Thoughts and prayers are accepted as I as yeah. I stand up here and lie prostrate in front of the congregation. But <laughs> I remember one dude tweeted at me one time and he goes, I watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette every Monday night with my mom and dad. And he goes, me and my mom always talk during it. And he goes, and my dad, he doesn't really like the show, but he sits there and he just reads your tweets on the timeline about the show. And that's how he communicates with us about the show. And he's like, so you have brought my dad into this Bachelor fold. And I was like, that is like the nicest thing that you, you know, that That's you can amazing. tell me is that like, you know what, all right, like this made it powerful enough for someone who might not have been into it before. So it, my, the whole point of that rambling and coherent response was it gets better. <laughs> That's good to know because, but here's the thing, like I, it's funny, like I pride myself on being unapologetically myself and tweeting about what I want to tweet about. I get political on there sometimes. I get completely the opposite of political. I talk about my veganism side sometimes. I talk about all these different things. But for some reason, nothing gets people as angry as tweeting about the Bachelor Bachelorette does. I'm like, guys, like, and my one thing I do love though, and it's funny, like I'm curious for your opinion on this as like a social media guy. I love that it's one of the only places like hashtags are still super relevant. And I love being able to click on a hashtag and, and see the tweets and it also helps your tweets blow up and get out to that wider universe. And I think that's part of why it does feel like such a community is because people are legitimately able to go follow this hashtag. And like, you feel like a, like you really do feel like a collective, like how special it was watching the last dance the other night and everyone being on sports Twitter again. Like it truly was like, it almost made me emotional like being on the same page as everyone again. Like it did. And I think that's kind of what you get every week with the bachelor. And I, I think it's amazing. I just, I, I think it's so funny. Even if you don't like the content, I just think the people who do rally together and like the genuine passion level is only comparable to sports. It really is. I, you know what? I never really thought about that before because it is so second nature, but really only for things like that when it's prompted like that. Like, I, and you know what? Maybe it's because a for like something like the Last Dance that was so larger than life. Like that was mm -hmm. that was like getting ready for the Super Bowl. It was amazing to watch the way social responded to all that stuff. Yeah. But for the Bachelor, I think like the hashtag is such an easy concession because like we see those have become so heavily branded. So at times yeah. like. Instagram kind of killed the hashtags because all those influencers will do like 80 yeah. of them after like for like for you. Pay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like and that stuff, it like, it, it feels like it kind of like ruins it sometimes, but for this, like we already recognize we're out here tweeting about this absurd competition where right now, if you're like me and you're watching, you know, the bachelor, listen to your heart edition. Like, Oh yeah. I already know I've made this concession that this show is completely absurd. And so me throwing this hashtag up there is the least of my worries in all this. And it is the tie that binds. So I'm with you. It's, I never thought about that before. That's pretty interesting. Did you, uh, did you watch the episode last night? I did. Yes. I love I it. Did. I, I, I like it. I don't think it's there. And you, did you watch winter games back when like that was on? And did you watch I those? Missed winter, I missed winter games winter for games. whatever reason. Missed, I missed that one. You missed nothing with winter games, but you technically <laughs> missed winter games. Yeah. But it's funny. It's funny to see like these adjacent ones pick up steam too. And I'm sure like, I'm sure Chris Harrison was like, 
we're going to be the only thing people are paying attention to. And I think that's become, I think more people are paying attention to this than they would have been otherwise. I think it's a disaster, but I'm really into it. And I like, I think they're taking some risks. Like they're not necessarily like, it's funny, you know, you watch a lot of bachelor bachelorette when you say this, but like they'll do some creative cuts now where they show the couple walking back instead of showing the rose. And I'm like, Oh, they're like, they're messing around. They're trying out some new things here. Like they're like, I think they're using it as a bit of a test run. It is a preseason. And I'm into that, but it is a mess. It is an absolute oh. mess. I'm, I'm feeling for my guy Sheridan because things are just not going to work out for that poor guy. Man, yeah, no, it was a tough one for Sheridan. Brandon, who knew the market for Brandons was so the Brandon for market is through the roof. Yeah. And it he's an older remarkable. guy too. And older guys usually get made fun of on like older for the Bachelorette universe. I think he's like 34, 35. And that's older for those, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. No, but it's, it is wild. But like the show, this one's got to like, the way they bring in new people, like it's got some paradise elements to it too, yes. where they're bringing in new contestants every episode and there's a differing amount of men and women on there. So it is, you're, you're right. It is. It's take, I noticed the shot ones, but now that I think of it, you're right. Like that shot I'm of them all waiting for them to come down the hallway is pretty wild. Yeah. It's, I am heavily invested in this cause I have absolutely nothing else to do. So I'm like, I'm, I'm watching this. Like I imagine people are sitting down who like give out the Academy Awards. I'm breaking down to the minutia here, but I have nothing else to do, so why not? You said not? It's, it's sports, so you're watching the tape. The same way I'm grinding through draft prospects right now, oh, yeah. you were grinding through the prospects for guys like Sheridan and Brandon and everyone else in this. Absolutely. So to get to transition away from Bachelor talking more to, you know, manly, chest-pounding type testosterone stuff, you're a big sneaker guy, you know. Uh, did that start uh, early? I know you had that awesome picture of those shoes you had as, like, a baby, your first pair of Jordans, which was amazing. And follow-up to that after you answer that, is it a, is your sneaker habit a good or a bad habit? Um, it's a bad habit financially because unlike a lot of like, like, like people, like there's a lot of like my friends that are blue check, blue check friends and people that uh -huh. work in sports that like people love sending them sneakers and they have like sneaker deals and stuff like that. That is not me. Like I want that abundantly <laughs> clear. Like there aren't handouts over here. Like I'm, you know, I'm, spending way too much money on this so from that standpoint it's a bad habit but like uh -huh. kind of like the other stuff we've talked about it, it's like it's speaking a different language right like it is something that wherever I go as soon as someone points to or comments on my sneakers I know based on what they say all right this is kind of their level of involvement in it you're like oh yeah. like, I have like I love loud colors so I'll get like older women that'll come up to me and go I love your shoes and I know it's because they're bright colors and they're fun and that's dope that she would take the time to say something yeah and I know there's people that point out, you know, the exact make, all that stuff, when the drop was, they asked me how I, you know, managed to pull it off because it was part uh -huh. of the raffle. Like the community is a ton of fun. And I've met a ton, probably more people working around in the sneaker community than I have in almost anything else. Yeah. But I got started super late on that. Like when I grew up, like, you know, we, you know, we did fine. So like, I didn't have to like want for much as a kid, but I didn't yeah. like the prospect of like, spending a bunch of my parents money on something that is definitely a frivolous spend to an extent yes yeah. and so it wasn't until I started working at ESPN and my buddy Kyle Rudolph who plays for the Vikings was one of my roommates mm -hmm. and teammates in college and he's a huge Jordan guy has like this awesome closet in his house that's just ceiling to floor like all these different kinds awesome. of J's and I thought man you know if I can put a little coin in my pocket I would love something like that. I used to see Bamani Jones on his live shots on ESPN from home would do him from his sneaker closet. And I was always like, that's what I wanted. And so it was probably like five years ago now where I really started to get into it. Like I bought a, you know, a pair of space jams and some like Jordan four retros and stuff like that. And just slowly, but surely like really enjoyed it. Cause like the rest of the way I dress, like 
it's it's grays, it's neutral colors. Like I don't uh-huh. really like get loud. But that's from the that's ankle, your statement maker. Your statement maker is going to be the sneakers. I like the that. ankle down. I will get loud as hell. Like I love yeah. pinks <laughs> and oranges and spring colors and shit like that. Like I have like three or four pairs of shoes that were only sold in women's, and so I have size fifteen and a half women's shoes because <laughs> damn it, I was not going to be denied Serena Williams off whites. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny you say that too, like, because I, like, sneakers were not necessarily, like, I always probably cared about my, like, appearance and dress a little bit more than I'd say, like, most other, just, like, boys and then men, like, growing up. It's just always something I've been a little focused on. I think my first year of having a real job, I bought, like, 40 pairs of sneakers. Like, 60% of my paycheck was just straight going to sneakers. And then my New Year's resolution last year was to stop because I wasn't even wearing most of them because then you get in that dangerous game of like oh they're so nice I don't want to wear them and then I didn't have the space because I live in New York City and don't have any money and I decided that it was something and then I ended up but I'm glad I didn't wear some because I ended up selling some that I realized weren't so important to me and then I was paying rent with that so that was good for a little while but no it's funny the sneaker community is just such a we talk a lot I mean we've talked a handful of times on this podcast about communities and like the strength of communities and I think they're one of the sneak I mean there's conventions and there's people who make their living off talking about other people releasing sneakers. You know what I mean? And I just think it's a really interesting space. I know it's something that you definitely, like, do you think you have a little bit of like a sneaker hive kind of built and following for yourself too? Oh, absolutely. And I said, they're, they're the most like vocal and like reaching out and like, you just kind of like have different conversations. Like I I remember um, ESPN, there's a group of people very passionate about sneakers at ESPN Uh that started the digital presence called Sneaker Center for them. And I got to sit in on one of the meetings and we all came in and like did the round table introduction and it was name, hometown, favorite shoe you own. Like, and just going around and like learning that about different people tells you so much about it who's does. talking. And it's, it is just a super interesting place to live. You're right. But yeah, that is, that is, and I think like a, a hive that like, even though we're inside like quarantine, social media has been a weird place, but like uh-huh. the sneaker group is like, no, nah, like that's, and that's one of the first things I said, like, Wearing sneakers and going to work was one of my favorite parts of my day. So I do my show remotely from my parents' basement now, and yeah. I put on a pair of sneakers and I go over there and I wear them while we do the show. Every something day. you have control over, right? Like it's it nice to have something you have control. A little over. bit of normalcy, yes, exactly. Yeah. My little bit of normalcy for the day. Did were you able to cop the new the new releases that dropped with the last dance the other night? Did you get those? Yeah, I did. Well, because then that the picture of baby shoes I tweeted, those uh-huh. were the Jordan, those were the uh, fire red Jordan fives, and so this is the adult pair of them. So now I've come full circle and finally gotten my first pair of Jordans in an adult size. That feels that feels like something that you need to. That feels like something that you definitely needed to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, that's all I got for today. Honestly, that we ripped through that a little faster than I thought we would. But I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate. I just want to thank you publicly for how kind you've been to me on social and for your quote tweet and everything when I got laid off. I, you have no idea how many people reached out to me and said they saw your tweet and that means the world to me. I really do appreciate that. I appreciate this friendship we started to develop through social and you coming on the show. So thank you, man. No, definitely. Thanks for having me, man. Like you said, you, you, you built something really fun and interesting. And like, I think seeing the amount of people that responded, cause I, you know, I've seen Katie Nolan and a number of like our mutual friends who are all yeah. on the same thing because like, we saw someone do something really fun and it felt original and it felt natural. And like everyone that we know mutual speaks super highly of you. And so I, I think it, no one's going to be surprised when you land on your feet very soon and are doing extremely great work for somebody else. And uh, I think we're all just trying to hitch our wagon to you to say that we knew you uh, when you were running the XFL account and balling out there. Thank you very much. I will be cutting that segment and I will be using that in addition to the nice things Brian Koppelman said about me the other day as my resume moving forward. So I really appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Seriously. Thanks, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'll see you later.
So for the random Twitter guest segment of the episode, I'm joined by Ivan Canfield. Let's get into it. I am now here with the second ever random Twitter follower, which is Ivan Canfield. He is at Ivan Canfield on Twitter. What's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm doing all right, all things considered. So how is your how's your life changed since like this whole quarantine thing? Are you are you home? Are you are you stuck somewhere else? What's your deal? Um, well, right now I'm kind of going back and forth between home and my apartment here in where I go to college because it's only about a 45 minute drive. So nice. like I'll I work here in town. So and then on my days off I'll go back home and see my parents. Nice. Oh, so are you are a essential worker? So are you considered an essential worker with your job? What do you do? I guess technically. Well, since I'm a college student, can't really get into the field since I'm, uh-huh. a, I'm a sport management agent or a sport management student. And so, so sports are basically shut down. And uh, so I, I work at a restaurant right now. Nice. Do, what do you do there? Are you a busboy? Are you a server? Are you uh, uh, back in the kitchen? Delivery driver. Delivery driver. Oh, so, all right. So I'm actually kind of interested in this because like I haven't been ordering a ton of food. I've just been mostly cooking Mm -hmm. since I've been locked down for a month and a half now, six weeks or so. So what, like what precautions are you taking? Like, are you seeing people who are taking a lot more seriously than other people? Are you seeing people who are like masked up when you, when you go to deliver it? Like how, what's going on with that? Yeah, absolutely. There'll be some people that are full. Like I've seen one person that was like full, almost like hazmat suit. Okay. All right. And then I've seen other people that are just basically get right up with you and, you know, hand you money, go hand to hand with you. Uh huh. But me personally, I'll go, I'll go gloves and then face mask. So the gloves face mask combo. So how's, uh, so is your school, you're in school still, right? You're in school, you said? Yep. Yep. All right. Are you graduating this year or what year are you in? Uh, next May is when I graduate. So I'm a junior. Next May. Okay. So hopefully a time when things are a little bit more like back to normal and you could have like a real, hopefully, senior, yeah. real senior year. What was it like having the rest of your, cause junior year is a big year too. Uh, you yeah. know, like I feel like everyone junior year kind of starts to turn 21 and stuff like that. So what was it like having the rest of that year canceled? Um, uh, well it was, I got kind of lucky turning 21 cause I turned like four weeks before the quarantine happened. Okay. So I got to celebrate it. And then uh, about two weeks later was our like fake St. Patrick's Day because we were on spring break during that. So that was like mm-hmm. our last big celebration. And yeah. then I think like three days later, everything got shut down. So there's that. But junior year being so important, it was tough because like I was taking 21 credit hours. Oh, man. What, like seven classes. And yeah. then everything just got pushed online. So it was pretty tough at first. But now we're three weeks from done. So everything's good now. So have you found like that your professors are that things have gotten like easier with the Like, obviously it's a strange transition, but if things gotten a, bu- a lot easier, would you say, or like just like time management now having to do your own thing while working? Like it's gotta be a bit of a mess to go to full online learning out of nowhere. Yeah, it definitely is. We definitely see the struggle of like um, teachers who had no skills using the online portion of their yeah. courses. Like I've, I have one professor that, she barely hosts, she'll host Zoom classes, but they go so bad because she's not technologically skilled. Doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And it's a major course for my, for my uh, academic. Naturally. Yeah. No, like I found that like I taught English before I got into like the social media space and it was something like I always found super interesting. 
was kind of like at the school I was at, like I was someone who was technologically ahead just from like being younger and just like kind of having inherently yeah. a better understand things. But there were teachers there that I wonder how they're doing now because they just like, they refuse to use any sort of Google classroom. I feel like at least in college, like it's integrated a little bit, like you kind of have to have some online presence most of the yeah. time, but be just due to sheer volume and students that you have and stuff but i can't even imagine like some of the high school teachers both that i had and when i worked in that high school like it must be an absolute disaster right now for them and those kids oh, i know like certain did your I college change school. like did your college change like the, the grading policies at all like i know i have a friend who's in school still and they made everything pass fail if they wanted to um i don't know if they like mandatory made everything pass fail but everyone had the option because it used to be like you could only take, I think, up to two classes that you can make pass fail. Uh -huh. And I think now every class you have the option to it. Dope. And I just, I just didn't do it. Yeah. So we'll get to the, the personal me talking portion of this chat. So when did you start following me on Twitter? How long have you been around for? How, how have you continued to not unfollow me through insufferable numbers of tweets? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I started my Twitter, like originally I started it. God, I was probably in like the seventh grade, maybe. Okay. Yeah. I started it early. Yeah. And I started it because it was funny. I went to, I'm a Browns fan. Okay. And uh, I went to a Browns game and we just, we didn't score any touchdowns and Phil Dawson only kicked field goals and we still lost to the St. Louis Rams. And I started it on the way home. And I, uh -huh. my first tweet was like, I hate the Browns. Yeah. And that's how my Twitter goes. But Naturally. Yeah. I that's like me in the next. You. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I started following you, I think. It was before you got to the XFL because I, I follow um, Charlotte Wilder and awesome. uh, Love Charlotte. Jessica. Yeah. And I think they were like in a Twitter interaction with you. And I think I just saw you and saw Sports Illustrated attached to it. So I just hit the follow link. Wow. So you've been around for a long time. More than you've been around for longer than like, because I had like a nice little bump where. I went from like in the 2000 range. Now I'm up over like 17 or something like that. But you, so you've been yeah. there for a long, so you've been there for a long time. I appreciate you hanging on. That's, that's good. Cause a lot, I've lost, man, I've lost many, many soldiers since then. <laughs> I've lost, I've lost a ton since then, but yeah. I mean, anything else you want to chat no, I'm about? I'm usually not an unfollow guy. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, anything else you want to ch chat about? Anything going on? Anything you want to say? I mean, it's your, your couple minutes. If not, that's fine. <laughs> um, well, how'd you like that picture of me and Mike Golick? That was... Oh, yeah. Was, Sorry. Uh, we have to talk about that. So the guest for this podcast <laughs> yeah. was my guy, Mike Golick Jr., a good friend of mine, the GOAT. Uh, very kind to come on and chat with me when he's yeah, a very yeah. busy man. So can you give the story behind that picture? And then I'll, yeah. when I'm sharing the episode, I'll obviously post that picture again. But can you share yeah, the story absolutely. behind that? So that was taken in, I believe, March or April of 2013, which okay. was... A couple months right after Notre Dame just got there, just got kicked in by Alabama in that title game. Uh -huh. And that was no, uh, Mike Golick was a senior that year. So in like the area that I grew up, uh, there's this mall, there's a couple malls that'll bring in um, players from like the big three of the Midwest, like Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh -huh. sign autographs. And just so happened Mike Golick was doing it at this specific mall. I was like, well, I'm going to go try to meet him. I love that. And I was like 12 or 13 years old. And he was a good dude, obviously. Was he kind to you oh, when you yeah. met him? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. All right, good. Yeah, no, he's a great dude. That's not surprising at all. Um, 
well, my guy, it was nice chatting with you. I'm glad we did yeah, this. No um, thank you for coming on. I mean, I had to, once I saw, cause it's random and some weeks it'll be random, true random where I do like a simulator. Some yeah. weeks, I mean, I couldn't pass on the chance to have on a second guest who has met the first guest. I imagine that's not going to be the case <laughs> yeah, for many, exactly. for many of my followers and everything. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much again to Mike Golick Jr. for coming on with me. Also, Ivan, for jumping on. This was a blast. Also, all of you who made it this long and listened to the entire app, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, whatever makes the most sense with whatever platform you're listening on. I appreciate it. Episode 3 coming soon.